So hello everybody, I'm John Offord, I'm a broadcaster based in the UK and today we're going to talk about covert narcissism. I'm delighted to be joined by two very special guests online from the US of A. Debbie Merza is the author of The Covert Passive Aggressive Narcissist, Recognizing the Traits and Finding Healing After Hidden Emotional and Psychological Abuse and also the book The Safest Place Possible. Debbie also works as a restorative coach and works with people who have been in relationships with covert narcissists. I'm also delighted to be joined by Dr. Robin Rise, a clinical psychologist with over 30 years experience working with individuals on achieving life happiness with a speciality with people recovering from narcissistic abuse. Hello to both of you. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, so Robin, I'm going to get straight to the point and start start with you and just ask you, what, what is narcissism? Interesting, right? We hear so much about narcissism in today's world. Um, and really there's, there's um, a healthy narcissism that people have to understand exists as well as an unhealthy narcissism. Um, so healthy narcissism is the possession of a realistic self-esteem uh, being having access to your own uh, emotional life and your ability to move forward and adapt and be flexible. So it's not unhealthy to have a sense of narcissism about yourself. We only have our own personal perspective. But unhealthy narcissism is a need to feel overly special and overly stealing attention from everything around you. So I think what we're talking about here is what's the difference between healthy and unhealthy narcissism and what we see in those around us and perhaps in ourselves. Thank you. Thank you. So um, in that, my second question then, this is one for Debbie. So what is covert narcissism? Yeah, so covert narcissism, and I think it'll be really helpful um, when we list, because there's narcissism the word narcissism and the definition like robin was talking about and then there's narcissistic personality disorder um and so i know we'll talk about the different traits of that um in this podcast yeah. and then covert narcissism is essentially exactly the same traits but the way they display these the way the these manifest are in a very subtle covert insidious way that you don't notice so this can be a person who's a humanitarian or a person who's just super nice or you know a leader in a in a church or a guru or someone you wouldn't think oh this person is really arrogant and selfish um, but they do the same things as far as controlling manipulating devaluing a person just as an overt narcissist does with all the traits for narcissistic personality disorder but they do it in a way where you don't notice. So you can often be with someone like this for quite a while before recognizing these traits in them. Interesting. So it's obviously very subtle. And I should say at this point that um, I feel like I've had experience of a, of a covert narcissist in, in a past relationship. So I find this fascinating. But I, I just want to um, maybe throw this one back to Robin and say, has covert narcissism been around for ages? Are, are people just waking up to it or is it something new? That's a fascinating question because covert narcissism is something that we 
experience sort of internally. You kind of feel it, but no one speaks about it. So there is not a whole lot of research out there or information out there about how far back concepts of covert narcissism go. We can talk about it in terms of um, an antisocial personality disorder, so the people that are bigger than life and do things um, like Debbie was saying from a humanitarian perspective, but it tends to be only for their own gain or their own adulation and admiration. So great question. Debbie, what do you think? I've thought about this too. Recently, I've had the thought just kind of observing life and history and my own opinion you know like you said there's really no data where we can look back and you know this is how many um but in my own thinking i think with i feel like it's on the rise i don't know how long it's been around but looking back through history i feel like manipulation and control um seems more covert to me now than it did before and I've thought about this and thought, I think, you know, why is that? And I feel like humanity overall is getting smarter and wiser. And we have the internet now and we have ways of finding out information we didn't have before. So I think, you know, on a larger scale of, of covert manipulation, um, I think those who are wanting to manipulate and control have to do it in a more covert way now than they could have before. That's just a thought I've had recently. Yeah. Um, and so we, I mean, we experience covert manipulation all over <laughs> without realizing it just in the way of, you know, what's broadcasted to us and, and advertisements and, and different things giving us really devaluing who we are. Um, you'll be more beautiful if you take this product or you'll be, you know, smarter if you'll do this and, and giving us all the impression that we're not good enough exactly how we are, which is like a fractalized, you know, version of this um, in a smaller version in our interpersonal relationships, but then on a larger version of, of how we're manipulated and controlled in a covert way in other ways. Debbie, you mentioned earlier about narcissistic personality disorder, sometimes referred to as MPD. Uh, maybe throw this one to you, Robin. Can you just tell us what that is then? So what's the difference between a narcissist or someone that has narcissistic personality disorder? Yeah, so from a clinical perspective, there's categories in what's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual um, that psychologists, psychiatrists use to actually classify people. So the person to be diagnosed with a personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, you have to meet these uh, five of these nine criteria. And I'm just going to read them if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so five of these nine. Uh, one is a grandiose sense of self-importance. Two, a preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Three, a belief that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high status people or institutions. Four, a need for excessive admiration. Five, a sense of entitlement. Uh, six, interpersonally exploitative behavior. Seven, a lack of empathy, an unwillingness to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. 
Eight, envy of others, or a belief that others are envious of him or her. And nine is a demonstration of arrogant or haughty behaviors and attitudes. So you said that you need, is it five of those criteria to be diagnosed with MPD? Is that correct, Robin? That's true. That's true. For a clinical diagnosis, it needs to be that. But personality disorders tend to move on a more fluid scale. So you can experience a lot of those feelings and traits from people without needing to have a diagnosis, an official diagnosis. We'll move on to the to this later, but I guess often a lot of people go undiagnosed, don't they? I guess obviously you you have to be willing to be diagnosed in the first place. So um, it, 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 it's interesting, isn't it, that, um, that I guess, I just wondered how aware people were these days of MPD. Do you think it's something that's becoming more and more um, kind of out there in society? People are, are aware of this disorder now, more so than maybe five, ten years ago? Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I think it's part of why Debbie's book is so brilliant, yeah. um, because she really exposes some of the more underground traits of, of narcissists or how, like she said over history, that it's kind of gone from an overt, obvious person looking in the mirror all the time, the arrogance, to it being much, much more subtle. Uh, and what I tell my clients often is it's important we're not needing to diagnose somebody to feel and trust that we are experiencing the manipulation and abuse from narcissism and covert narcissism. So absolutely, mm -hmm. I believe we're seeing the nuanced uh, pictures of what narcissism is and what it does to people, both individually and I actually think culturally and systemically yeah absolutely absolutely debbie if we can just talk about your book for for a little while i wonder what the reaction was like from your book i mean obviously this is um high up there on on amazon's bestsellers and and, and i know that um you have a facebook group uh, which is kind of an international thing now just tell us about some of the reaction that you've had it's been incredible it's i when i wrote the book i did not i underestimated how many people across the world in so many different countries are experiencing the same thing. I, um, <clears throat> for me, it was, I had gone through uh, a very long relationship um, with someone who I had no idea had these traits until we were going through a divorce. And my attorney said to me, um, you know, is this person narcissist? And I was like, no, that's the last so that's the last term I'd use to describe this person. They're so nice. <laughs> and that's what launched me into my own discovery. And when I went to, um, you know, she said, I suggest you get a hold of as much information on this as you can, because you need to know what you're dealing with. And I was so shocked. I could tell she, she looked at me with these glaring eyes. I was just a deer caught in headlights. And, um, so I did. I just started devouring books on narcissism. And at first I thought, I don't know if this is if this is the right direction, because, you know, like Robin was reading shows, arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes like, well, I don't really see that, mm -hmm. you know, doesn't show empathy. Um, no, they seemed, you know, like they cared and they were, they showed empathy. But as I got to there was enough information about narcissism that I read, like they, there's this hidden rage that you feel. 
you know, and I thought, yeah, that's true. And I started to see, you know, some control. And then after talking, I actually went to like different therapists. I just full on, it was like, <laughs> this was my full-time job <laughs> to figure out what was going yeah. on. Um, Cause things had gotten so confusing. And I finally talked to a life coach um, that said, it sounds like you're dealing with a, a covert passive aggressive narcissist and they're the most difficult to recognize. And my whole mm. body felt that when I heard those words, it was like the piece I needed. So then I yeah. started Googling, you know, searching those words and there was no book written on it. So I kind of pieced together, you know, information I got from YouTube and articles and books and, and then saw how. So was this the first book ever written then on covert narcissism? As far as I know, there was no book available. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. And, and I started seeing things like, oh, they, you know, there's people out there that can appear like they have empathy. But do you actually feel it? You know, that's the difference between, you know, an overt narcissist is the type we tend to think of who's just obviously selfish and arrogant and irritating <laughs> and appalling, you know. Um, but and so they won't ever apologize. You know, and so I would read that about narcissism and think, no, actually, this person was really good at apologizing. And so I learned covert narcissists can be really good at apologizing. They can mimic someone who has empathy. They are arrogant, but they show it in ways you don't notice. But it's through their actions, not their words. Um, so as far as the reaction, I knew you know, I started going to a support group in the town where I was and I was like, oh, wow, I'm not alone in this. And I started asking people if I could talk to them individually and get their stories. And when I decided to um, write the book, I ended up interviewing over 100 people because I wanted it to be really accurate, not just about my story. And I was, yeah, I just was I've been overwhelmed at every day I receive emails and, you know, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, just saying this book literally saved my life. And because it's just so, it's so damaging to our psyche and our self-esteem, but we don't recognize where this is coming from. And we tend to like, for instance, when I was in this relationship, I was tired all the time. And I had, I would say, like a low level of depression for many, many years. And I just attributed it to, oh, well, you know, maybe it's childhood stuff I haven't really worked through. Or maybe it's, you know, because the kids are young and everyone's tired when you have kids. Or maybe it's because I haven't found my purpose and I'm not fulfilled. And and I'd have, you know, health issues that I couldn't really... Um, you know, find a reason, you know, a cause for. And so that's what happens when you're in these relationships. It's stemming from the person you're living with, <laughs> but it's not obvious, you know, until later when you start. So I've had, I've heard, I've met incredibly kind people. And that's the interesting thing. The people that end up with these type of people are really kind, nurturing, caring wonderful people and so I've had the privilege of having really 
special interactions with people and and learning a lot from them too. And Debbie, while you mention that, do you think that covert narcissists um, almost pick out people deliberately that are gentle and kind and and have lots of emotional intelligence? Do you think that is part of who they look out for in the first place? Definitely, I think so because if you're someone, well, okay, there's a yeah, there's a chapter in my book um, called Targets. Um, or some traits of a target, something like that, <laughs> traits of targets, yeah. um, because there are certain traits that seem to be really common, not 100%, but the majority of people that end up with covert narcissists are very um, kind, often very empathic, intuitive. Um, they also, I've found there's so many people that have said to me, and I felt the same way about myself, how did I not see this? I'm actually a really intuitive person. When someone walks in a room, I can feel how they feel. I can pick up if something's off and yet I didn't see it, you know? And so there's a lot of self-blame, you know, why, you know, I'm, why was I not smarter? Why, you know, did I let this happen? And that's where we have to give ourselves so much grace and compassion that these people, you know, I've talked to, yeah, incredibly smart people. I've talked to therapists, I've talked to coaches, you know, people who are in the field of helping who have got, you know, suckered in <laughs> by these people. Yeah. That's, to, to jump in, if it's okay, that's how I met Debbie is, I read, I read her book in, I devoured it in, I don't even know, a, a day. And I couldn't put it down and, and I wept through it and it explained so many things about a relationship I was in. But mm. it also, I immediately called my mom and said, you lived through this. You lived through this and everybody made you crazy telling you that he's such a great guy and how can this how can you be this way with this man who's so wonderful and be so angry or hurt or devastated and she broke down weeping and her friend I sent the book to her friends so there's I think a generation of women who were or people not just women but people who were un uh, unheard and mm -hmm. didn't feel safe to talk about what was going on and didn't know and like Debbie said made it about themselves that there was something wrong with them. So is that is, is there a psychological term there called cognitive dissonance where people uh, refuse to ex accept the reality of the situation and still see their partner or former partner as, as someone that is kind and gentle and refuse to see the, the other, the true um, and not so kind part of them. Is, 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 does tell us what cognitive dissonance is. Oh, that's, yes, is when two things try and exist in your mind at the same time mm -hmm. that both seem potentially true. So it's hard to switch your mindset from what you've been uh, most comfortable believing and being taught. So without a strong sense of self, uh, covert narcissists can make you feel like it's all you and they absolutely use that to make you feel and stay uh, their target their um, 
supply is one of the words we call it in in psychology. I just have to ask this question. I know that a lot of people, some people often think, well, narcissism's always there. We we all, all of us have narcissistic traits. It's a word that's flouted around a lot these days. It's just another label. I mean, does it really mean anything? What what would you say to to that, Robin? Like I said, it's true that we that we all only have our own perspective on things, so that by definition makes us narcissistic. We only have our um, experience to relate to the world with but the idea of unhealthy narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder always takes place in relationship so it's people who are trying to get something from other people in a way that's painful or damaging to the other people that they're in relationship with so it's unhealthy narcissism always involves taking something from somebody else or using somebody else or manipulating somebody else for your own needs. And, and that same question to you, Debbie, then. So is it not just people that are passive aggressive? And, you know, what what you know, what would you say to, to that if people are quite dismissive of the term covert narcissist? What, what, what do you think to that? Yeah, I think it's become tricky because that word narcissism is thrown around so much very lightly, you know, to mean just someone who takes a lot of selfies, <laughs> you know, or somebody just thinks of themselves as selfish, basically. And so I think it, that does a lot of damage to people who have actually experienced a covert narcissist or an overt narcissist um, and how damaging it is because you can, you know, tell your story to someone and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I was with someone like that. They were just super selfish. They're super into themselves. And it's so much more than that, that that's why I think it's really important to understand, you know, what control looks like, what manipulation looks like, and especially when it it comes in a very covert way. I'm usually not a fan of labels, <laughs> but in this case, it's so helpful to have a label. It was so helpful for me and, and a lot of people to then see. It, it helps you make sense of this incredibly confusing relationship. So a uh, question for you, Robin. So if we just take a step back then, so what, what actually causes causes narcissism? So are you are people born that way? Is it something that happens uh, when you're a child? Well, it's that, na- that whole nature nurture thing, right? And, and the answer is it seems to be both. On the, the spectrum, one of the things when Debbie was talking about empathy, and with covert narcissists, they have an ability to mimic empathy. They now know that there are brain structures that actually don't exist or don't work the same way uh, they do in people who don't have narcissistic personality disorder or um, psychopathic personality disorder, where they can cognitively display empathy, but they don't feel it. It doesn't show up in their brain. So environment can have something to do with it they used to say it was parents who were too permissive and gave kids everything but hard to tease all of that stuff out it's certainly in today's world there's much more emphasis on the self than there used to be and in western cultures there's historically been more emphasis on the self so we may be breeding that as well 
So I just wondered, is is there a cure for narcissism? You know, can people change or is it once you've been diagnosed, for example, with narcissistic personality disorder, is that it? Is it something you have for life or, or, or are there ways to to kind of, um, to, can people change basically is what I'm saying? Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. That's, that's, oh boy. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, people, much, it's a hard question. It, really. it is. It is. So, so <laughs> my general philosophy is can people change? Yes. Um, but when you have um, a personality disorder, mm-hmm. one of the definitions of a personality disorder is that the way you are feels right to you. And the world is the problem. People outside of you are the problem. So back to the cognitive dissonance, right? If you feel like you're okay and the rest of the world is the problem, then you have no need to change. So in my years, decades of doing this work, I've never seen anyone with a personality disorder change in a significant way to become someone who I would say, hey, they're cured from their personality disorder. Uh, They can change their behaviors in some ways, depending on the depth of of malignancy, the depth of the symptoms. So I am kind of passionate about the beliefs that don't try and change a narcissist because people get stuck in that belief that, oh, if I could just do this better or more, uh, they'll change because they don't so i know we've we've talked about this before but i I just wondered if you could if anyone listening now thinks they obviously we can't diagnose people that are just listening in from this podcast but i just wondered if 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 people maybe are are thinking maybe they are dating a a, a covert narcissist i mean i just wondered if there was any particular signs that they they might need to look out for is anything you can say about that debbie or robin yeah we could both speak to that i'm sure maybe back and forth um The first thing that comes to mind is to really watch if the words match the actions, because it's very easy for us to get caught up in words, you know, I'm so sorry, or, you know, I love you, you're the best, because they're really good at saying beautiful words. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I, and there's always an excuse for certain things, you know, if they didn't show up an appointment where they said they would, if they didn't do this, you know, show up for a phone call when they you know, had acted like they wanted to, there's always an excuse. So I would really watch if their actions really reflect, um, match with their, their words is a big thing. Um, yeah. And then also, how do you feel around this person? It's with these kind of people, any covertness, it's like, you have to listen beyond your ears. You know, you have to notice beyond beyond just what they're telling you and also to how your body feels around this person and also how your self-esteem is. You know, I've noticed with different people in my life, whenever I speak to them, I feel really positive and healthy about myself, like very loving and high self-esteem. And then other people I'm around them and I can't pinpoint why but why do I suddenly feel insecure (laughs) and why do I suddenly feel like there's so many things wrong with me? You know? So, so even though, and the more covert they are, um, and like Robin's saying, there's, there's the spectrum and you can have someone who's 
has covert traits as well as overt trace traits. Yeah, and and the co- the more covert they are, they will make you believe that you're at fault for so many things, but they won't actually say it. Mm-hmm. Um, so really observe when you're in a relationship with someone, is it feeling like everything is your fault? Mm-hmm. I would say those are some. And I and I was reacting to from for my experience. Uh, one of the things I now know to look for is the very initial love bombing stage because that was mm-hmm. such a powerful mm. hook for me to have someone who appeared to know everything about me and want to know everything about me. Uh, it was intoxicating to be that intensely known and have someone want to meet all of those hidden needs. Oh, yeah, really interesting what you're saying there, Robin. Just for those of us that don't know, can you, what is love bombing? Can you tell us what that means? So it's the initial stage when you meet a narcissist where they begin to make themselves, I want to use the word your savior, the person who is your soulmate and will give you everything you've ever wanted and uh, professes tremendous love and respect and admiration for you and wants to be with you all of the time. So it's very much an attachment creating stage where they promise to meet all of your needs. And it is, it is so insidiously um, hooking because in the beginning, when you have that, you can't imagine never having that again. And you talked about the love bombing stage there. I just wondered if there were other stages that that, that mm-hmm. people go through in these types of relationships, like you know the idealization stage, the the devalue, the, the the discard stage. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about the other stages as well. Sure. Yeah. There's in a nutshell three stages. Um, first, there's love bombing, and like Robin was saying, it's it's so powerful that stage because it sets you up. To for the rest of the, the relationship, you see them under the guise of that first impression, that first love bombing. So the next stage is devaluing, demeaning stage where, you know, for the first bit of the relationship, they're love bombing you. And um, then all of a sudden just kind of starts to creep in, not really all of a sudden, but it starts to creep in little acts of devaluing you, demeaning you mixed with loving acts and kind words. So it's really confusing. It's this intermittent reinforcement type of thing. And then it always ends with the discard, which sometimes can be initiated by you and and, uh, sometimes by the covert narcissist. But many times you're the one to end it because they, the big thing with a covert narcissist is they, um, their reputation, how they look is very important to them. So they won't often end the relationship because they don't want to look like the bad one, the mean one. <laughs> they want, they want to put you in that, they want you to be in that position. So then they can get the sympathy of everyone else around them. So yeah, those are the three stages and the, and the discard uh, stage, a lot of times a covert will turn more overt. Um, and that's what'll be so shocking you know, because you've experienced this mm. this man or woman who has been so kind and easygoing, 
and suddenly they're yelling at you and they're swearing at you and things that you haven't experienced, you know, maybe for a very long time, you've never seen this side of them and it's really confusing. And instead of giving you those um, messages, derogatory messages about yourself, they'll say it to your face. Um, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. So that's, that's kind of the arc of the relationship. So, and not to be kind of interesting and, and, and sorry to interrupt Debbie, but is that because at that stage they, they become over because they don't need to be covert anymore because it's the end of the relationship. You found out who they really are and they, that's why they switch between covert to overt. I think there's a couple of reasons. It'd be interesting what you think of this, Robin, too, why they become more overt. One is for, from just what I've noticed, um, one thing that makes this different than other breakups is it's very sudden. When they're done, when they're done, you see they're done with you and they just, they want it over. They want it done. It's not like a gradual falling apart from each other type of thing. And also, yeah, their, their mask begins to crack the stronger you get. You know, and mm. so when you start getting strong, when you start seeing their stuff, that really triggers the rage that's that's been inside them the whole time. And it just it just comes out. So it just feels like a, a whole storm of, of things that happen to to cause them to behave that way. Yeah, I, I agree that that there's a I always think of it like a. The relationship with a with a narcissist is like a slot machine, and in the beginning, uh, you pull the lever and you always get a payout, and then gradually over time, that payout gets less and less and less. And when they have nothing more that they want to give to you, that's when the discard phase happens, and that's when the mask is gone because they no longer need anything from fascinating I, I wondered if i could ask you robin about um obviously we talked about manipulation earlier and i wanted to talk about coercive control um and there's a term that's often used uh, called gaslighting i know that the archers in in the uk a bbc radio program featured a big story about gaslighting a few years ago and obviously we're all talking now in the covid19 lockdown and um, certainly on a global scale, there's been more cases in terms of psychological, emotional and domestic abuse since the, uh, the COVID-19 lockdown. I just wondered if you could tell us what is coercive control? What is gaslighting? Uh, and just tell us a bit about that, Robin. Well, it's interesting. So the movie Gaslight came out, I think, in 1938. So if you haven't had a chance to watch this movie, it's now part of the public domain, which is where the term comes from. But it's basically instilling a sense of doubt in a target, in a person, and making them question their own memory, their own judgment, um, making them feel like they're crazy. So in the movie, if you get a chance to watch it, um, you'll watch the systematic, uh, it's Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer, you'll watch what happens when someone begins to doubt themselves and not trust themselves and lose the strength that, that Debbie was talking about. And you begin to feel like I must be the problem. So if you notice when you're starting to get exhausted or tired or feel more depressed or anxious around this person, those are key signs that you might have someone who's actually trying to diminish your power and your sense of self 
and it may be an abusive situation that uh, sometimes other people can help you see, but learning to trust your own internal sense of this just doesn't feel right. I, you know, I've talked to a few people that um, had the mis well the misfortune of being in a relationship with a with a covert narcissist, but they've also said that they they think there are other things going on there in addition to uh, the narcissism. I just wondered if how typical that is. Can you have more more than one condition? And I know often um, some people have said that they've confused it with Asperger's or um, um, autism. And uh, I just wondered if there are any similarities between the two and, and what your thoughts were around that. That's an interesting question because the thing that, that distinguishes is that narcissists are, or narcissistic personality disorder people are about themselves and don't want to integrate and be connected with other people. Whereas people with Asperger's, that's all they want is to be able to fit in and feel comfortable with other people. So mm. uh, while it may look on the surface to be similar personality dynamics, really the motivations and intentions and behaviors sort of give that away. Should you, if, should you tell a narcissist you think they are a narcissist? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, generally, uh, it's, it's a waste of uh, energy and air trying to convince yep. them of anything. And in fact, uh, one of the things Debbie wrote in her book, which was just, uh, so smart when my mom took my father to therapy I don't even know years 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 ago the only thing that happened in that experience was the therapist educated my father on how to better gaslight my mother uh, so trying to trying to deal with his his issues we'll say uh, and labeling him as anything only gave him more ammunition to use. What do you think, Debbie? Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I think whether you tell them they're a narcissist or they're or don't tell them, it's just conversations with them seem to be futile no matter what, <laughs> and it's just going to anger them. So, like she said, it's just a waste of your energy. It really is a terrible experience when you go to therapy with them like she's saying because it's like training ground for them you know because they're all about they want to please the therapist they want it they want to this this is like a gold mine for them because they want to appear wonderful to everyone so now they're learning oh okay i need to do this this and this and that'll work even more you mentioned they're going to therapy as a couple but i guess do you think narcissists actually are self-aware they know that they they might have quite a few narcissistic traits and and therefore uh, you know and and i guess some of them don't want to do anything about it so the, the last thing they're going to do is go go to a therapy session yeah they'll go to a therapy session to fix you with with you with you yeah but i've had experiences <laughs> with with narcissists who can self-identify, but I think the covert narcissist is particularly invested in being a humanitarian or being the good guy, and it's not really seen, in my experience, as a problem. Like, I'm the most generous mm -hmm. person, the most powerful person, the most giving person, 
the most healing, helpful person out there. So um, I don't know that I've seen too many covert narcissists come in and say, hey, I think I'm might be dealing with something just uh, just before we sum up today's podcast i just wondered um if, you, if you've been listening to this podcast and you and you think actually I, I might be in a relationship with a covert narcissist and you're wondering what what the next step to do is obviously other than buying debbie's book i just wondered um what 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 would you say people should do if they're listening to this and i I'd, I'd identifying what we've been talking about that i'll ask that to, to to debbie yeah i mean the definitely the first step I would say is is my book because that really is so comprehensive and describes all the traits it gives lots of stories um, illustrating the traits so you'll be able to see you know if this is what you're dealing with um, also talks about in the workplace and if you have a parent like this what that looks like and there's a, an extensive chapter on manipulation and control and and um, what that looks like so I, I think that would be the perfect place to start because that would give you so much information brilliant how about you robin what 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 would you say to people listening to this that are a little bit concerned about the relationship they're in at the minute and think they might be um with someone who's a covert narcissist there are so many communities and therapists now who are working with this because it really was not uh, known widely even a decade ago so if you suspect uh, if you put in to Google or go on Facebook, Debbie's Facebook group is a brilliant place to start to test out and see what you resonate with and what you don't and get some help and support, knowing that you're absolutely not alone in this experience mm -hmm. and then working your way to being strong stronger within yourself so that you can leave those kind of relationships and find yeah. true love and true happiness absolutely and, and what a nice word to finish on happiness so thank you so much both of you for joining us today it's been fascinating talking to you both and this is something i I'm, i could go on talking to you both for hours and hours uh, it's so so interesting and i'm sure a lot of people can relate to what we've discussed today um yeah um uh, any any final thoughts from any of you at this at this point I should also mention I have a YouTube channel that would be a helpful way too for people to, you know, dabble into different topics and to help give more information as well. And that's a free resource. And it's just under my name. Yeah. Brilliant. And 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 for me, I'd like to say I'm I'm working on a group called Happily Better After because I actually think that the experience of healing from narcissistic abuse actually transforms you into the person you were meant to be fascinating well thanks again both of you and i really appreciate your time and i hope you stay safe and well during the rest of the uh, rest of the year this difficult year that we're all having and um, but hopefully uh, things will be getting better soon so yeah stay safe thank you